So the uh, uh, Old Testament reading and then the Gospel reading is about uh, the end times, uh, when Jesus returns. And we're leading up in the church year to uh, next Sunday is the last Sunday in the church year. So uh, I'm not going to be preaching about that today because we're still with Philemon. But next Sunday, uh, we will talk about um, uh, end times. But meanwhile, the Old Testament reading and the Gospel reading will sort of get us ready for that. So this is from Daniel chapter 12. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never been seen since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this is Philemon. This is our last Sunday doing Philemon. And uh, the the text that's bold down there will be the sermon text. One more time. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. To Aphia, our sister. To Archippus, our fellow soldier. And to the church that meets in your home. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love I then, as Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he's become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel, but I didn't want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He's very dear to me, but even dear to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he's done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the 13th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. As Jesus came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? 
There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, see that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginnings of the birth pains. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Okay, uh, let's finish up Philemon. I uh, will apologize to you for my voice. Uh, so I've been struggling with something. And so my voice is uh, kind of gravelly. And that's probably a little bit annoying. I heard, a re- uh, I don't like listening to recordings of myself, but I heard a recording of myself uh, once when I preached at Good Shepherd after I was losing my voice. And I thought that it kind of uh, lent me uh, gravitas. It was kind of uh, a little bit edgy, kind of in your face. And so I've pondered, like, if I should affect it, if I should, like, practice it, like, talking kind of gravelly, because it's kind of cool. And, uh, but um, I'm, not, I'm not faking it this morning. It really is. Um, so I apologize, because it is kind of annoying. Um, so we're going to finish up Philemon today, and we're going to do uh, verses 17 through 25, uh, just to kind of... Um, uh, sort of tell you uh, uh, what's happening here, if this is the first time that you've thought about Philemon, if this is your first Sunday with us in the Philemon series. Uh, Paul writes the letter to Colossians, to the church at Colossae. Uh, one of the members of the church at Colossae is a guy named Philemon. Philemon has a slave named Onesimus, who has, it looks like, we know for sure that Onesimus has run away from Philemon. We also think that probably Onesimus has stolen from Philemon. Too. Anyway, somehow Onesimus meets up with Paul. Paul's in prison, uh, but somehow they come together. This is not weird. People uh, in, in the ancient world, you could visit people in prison because the government didn't pay for their uh, food and clothing and um, things like that. So people in prison relied on people coming to visit them to give them food and clothing. He meets up with Onesimus. Somehow Onesimus comes to faith through Paul's ministry, and Paul sends Onesimus back to Philemon, carrying with him the letter to Colossians, and um, the letter, a personal letter, not to a church, but to Philemon, which is uh, what it is here. Now, this is what's happened so far. Paul, we, we can all agree that slavery is a bad thing, right? Paul undermines slavery, but he doesn't do it by saying, in Philemon, he doesn't do it by saying, hey, slavery is a moral evil, and so you should stop. He could have done that, and maybe Philemon would have stopped. But Philemon would have stopped because Paul said, here's a rule you should obey. And Philemon would have kept the rule, but his heart would not have been changed. Instead, what Paul does is he says, Philemon, 
You and Onesimus are now brothers in Christ. I'm sending him back to you. I'm sending him back to you willingly. And I pray, this is, I'm going to quote from Philemon here, you are going to accept him as way more than a slave. You are now going to accept him as a dear brother in Christ. If the gospel's real, if God has reconciled, God has bound us together in Jesus Christ in such a way that we're reconciled to God and we're reconciled to each other, then slavery can't possibly exist. You don't need a rule to say slavery is wrong. Nobody keeps slaves. The gospel does it from the inside out. It changes people's hearts so they no longer want to manipulate people. They no longer want to own other people. They no, no longer want to see other people as items that they can use for their own benefit. That's kind of where we're at. So let's finish up here, verse 17. Paul's going to finish up his appeal. So if you consider me a partner, if, so if I leave in, if you consider me, Paul, a partner, partner's kind of a bad word there. Do you remember that word from verse 6, koinonia? Remember back in verse 6 where it says, well, you don't have to remember because it's in your bulletin. You could read it. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith. That's sharing your faith. Remember, again, I'm, I'm, for some of you have heard this before. I'm repeating it for those who this is their first time here in Philemon. Sharing your faith, usually we mean that as like evangelism, like talking to people about Jesus. That's not what sharing your faith means. There's the word koinonia. It means participating in the life of faith. Sharing in the sense of like, your life belongs to me and my life belongs to you. He says in verse 6, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith life with your fellow believers there in Colossae so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. That word koinonia is almost the same word that's partner here. It's actually just sort of a a noun form of it. Sort of a personalized form. So koinonia, the word here for partner is, you don't need to know this, but koinonas. It's direct, somebody who's a partner, somebody who's sharing in faith. Somebody who's actually actively participating in the communal life of God's people. If you consider me a fellow in faith, if you consider me, I don't, what, what's a good word for that? Partners, it can mean business partner, I, I don't know. If you consider me like a brother in Christ, I don't know, whatever. Welcome him as you would welcome me. I'm sending Onesimus back to you. I want you to think of Onesimus the same way you think about me. You know, you know the Philemon has this deep abiding respect for Paul because we know also from the letter that Philemon came to faith because of Paul. I want you to think of Onesimus the same way that you think about me. This isn't just some sort of like, hey, do me a favor and like be nice to this guy because he's my friend. There's some of that, certainly, but it's theological. In Christ, you and I are brothers, Philemon. We're equals. We share the life of faith together. But guess what? Now Onesimus has been pulled into that. You don't have any right theologically to not accept him in the same way that you would accept me. I am your father in the faith, and I know that he, on paper, is your slave. But the three of us together are brothers in Christ. So if you're a partner in faith, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he's done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. We're going to come back to that in a second. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. Paul didn't usually write letters with his own hand. He usually had, uh, I can't say this word. Amen, amenuensis, something like that. Somebody wrote for him, a secretary, a scribe who would write for him. At the end of Colossians, actually, he like signs it. He, so, so he has a scribe write Colossians, and then he says, hey, I'm putting this in my own hand just to kind of say hi to you here at the end of the letter. It looks like Philemon, he wrote the whole thing out by hand, didn't leave it to a scribe. One reason is because it's short and so it's manageable. The other reason it's a very, very personal letter. It's, it's one-on-one. So I'm writing this to you with my own hand. I'm guaranteeing you that whatever Onesimus stole from you, I will pay it back. Again, more on that in just a second. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Remember what he means by that? 
So in verse 7, he says, Philemon, you know what I love about you? Is that you're the kind of person who it's important to you that you refresh the hearts of the saints. Then in verse 12, he says, you know what, Onesimus is my heart. And now here in verse whatever, uh, what, what verse is this? Verse 20, he says, I want you to refresh my heart in Christ. In other words, Philemon, you're the kind of guy who wants to refresh the hearts of the saints. Now Onesimus is my heart, and now I'm asking you to refresh my heart. If you are going to keep on being the same guy I know you to be, the kind of guy who's active in sharing your faith life with other Christians, we're pulling Onesimus into this too. I want you to refresh him as well. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. I addressed this last week. I'll just mention it real quickly again. Uh, Our best guess is that Philemon, the epistle to Philemon worked. That Philemon actually welcomed Onesimus back as a brother in Christ. Else, the letter to Philemon probably wouldn't be showing up in the New Testament. Philemon, if he didn't like it, would have gotten rid of it. Would have ripped it up and thrown it away or whatever. And then, uh, one thing more, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you and answered your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. Isn't it amazing how much of Paul's letters, not just Philemon, is devoted to personal relationship? And I'm not even talking about like deep sort of like, how are you feeling today? Anything you want to share with me? But just like, hey, I want to come and visit you. Like get a room ready for me. I've got these four friends who are with me, and they told me to say hi to you too. A lot of it is personal relationship. Is this just sort of random like, uh, people were friends. No, this is actually the heart of the gospel. God, it, God, by the, by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, by the resurrected power of Jesus Christ, is creating this community of faith. And so Paul's constantly, not just in Philemon, but in all of his letters, dealing with community stuff. Some of it bad, some of it good. But it's always real life. It's never like just theology in your head. That's important. It's always fleshed out. People living their lives with each other. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Okay, so let's go back and look at verse um, 18 again. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Paul does what Jesus does. Paul takes the sins of somebody else and he puts it on his own shoulders. Do you mind if I quote to you from Luther real quick here? This is uh, Luther's thoughts, well, some of Luther's thoughts on Philemon. What Christ has done for us with God the Father... St. Paul does also for Onesimus with Philemon. For Christ emptied himself of his rights and overcame the Father with love and humility so that the Father had to put away his wrath and rights and receive us into favor for the sake of Christ, who so earnestly advocates our cause and so heartily takes our part. Paul's got money. It's Paul's money. Paul says to Philemon, though, if Onesimus stole from you, I'm totally willing to give you my money if that will, if that will help bring together you and Onesimus. I will carry Onesimus' sin on my shoulder, the sin of stealing. I, on the other end, will carry your sin of slavery, slaveholding, on my shoulders. I will be the go-between. I will be the point of contact between God and man. I will be the point of contact between Philemon and Onesimus. I will be Jesus in this scenario. It's a wonderful, amazing power that you have to forgive the sins of other people. Uh, We'll get to that in just a second. I, this is maybe, I'm not just saying this, I probably could say this every time I preach because I probably feel like that every time I preach. But I honestly think, I, I'm a little bit more nervous today than I normally am because I think that this is maybe the most important sermon that I'm going to preach at St. James. I think that, not, not this sermon, but this text, this sort of gospel fleshed out in our lives 
if we get it, if we by the power of the Holy Spirit actually live this out, it will be the difference between St. James being a growing, thriving church and St. James being sort of a cold, empty, irrelevant, lifeless church. I think it comes down to the, it comes down to the gospel, but not the gospel in your head. Y'all are there. Most of you are there. Some of you are unbelievers, but most of you are there. The gospel like out here at your fingertips, the gospel on the soles of your feet, the gospel in your arms as you wrap them around other people in the church. This is going to be the difference. The main theme is that the gospel is true. And we've been reconciled to Jesus Christ. And what that means then is that we've been reconciled to each other. And the cross, like I just said a second ago, the cross is a great image of this, right? Jesus standing in between heaven and earth. The bridge between God and man, but with his arms outstretched, horizontally, the bridge between man and man, between woman and woman, between ethnic groups, language groups, socioeconomic groups, genders, pulling all people to himself so that he can bind all people to God. This lived out is going to make the difference in St. James being a real church and a special interest group that meets once a week. This is going to be the difference. The enemy wants you to have resentments and grudges. The enemy wants you to not connect with other people. The enemy wants you to harbor bad feelings towards people either in this church or people in your family or people in churches that you came from. The enemy wants you to hold on to these things. Because one, the enemy wants to destroy you. And bitterness and hatred and unforgiven sin will destroy you. Two, the enemy wants to destroy your relationships but it even goes farther than, it goes, goes deeper and more profound than that. Three, the enemy wants to destroy the gospel. And if the enemy can get you to say in your head, oh yeah, I believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, but to live your life as though you are not reconciled to anybody else in Jesus Christ, or to everybody else, I should say, in Jesus Christ, then the enemy has punched the gospel in the gut. The enemy has made us look like the kind of people who are hypocrites, who say, oh, I believe in love, I believe in Jesus but there's these people in my church I just can't talk to. I don't get along with them. See what the enemy's doing to us? You see why this is so important? And I'm saying this because all of us have had bad experiences at churches. All of us have had bad experiences in families and in workplaces where we've sensed this gap. And I don't know if you've ever felt like, well, I can bridge this gap if I'm just nice enough or if I say the right thing. Or maybe, in my case, I'm a little bit more like... Well, if they're not with me, I can just sort of turn away. Not in a mean way. I'm not like a mean guy, but more of like uh, so passive-aggressive. That's, that's, that's the word I'm looking for, passive-aggressive. I'm just not going to deal with it. I'm going to pretend like it's not there. That's not gospel living. And what Philemon, what, what Paul's doing with Philemon here is trying to get him to, to, to live out the gospel. Let me put this this way. You have unforgiven sin in your life. Uh, unforgiven sin. Let me, let me I said that wrong. You have sins that other people have committed against you that are unforgiven. You have grudges that you're holding against other people that you have not, I'm not saying let go, that's what I did, that's passive aggressive. I'm saying that you've not broached with them in the blood of Jesus Christ. One of the things that we're doing is we're saying, so I need them to pay. I need them, I need that person to suffer a little bit. I can't forgive them for that sin. The blood of Jesus Christ is powerful enough to forgive sins, but it's not powerful enough to forgive their sin. 
It's not powerful enough. To, it's not powerful enough to us to for us to have a healed relationship. We have to forgive each other's sins. We can't have anything standing between us. Whatever it is, we can't have anything standing between us and fellow believers. This is the heart of the gospel. Let me um, let me close off with like three three object three objections that we might have to this. So, uh, objection number one: If God is forgiven. If God has forgiven them, is it really important that I forgive them? Like, okay, so I, I don't think that God hasn't forgiven their sins. I just can't do it. Like, I hope that my sister who I don't get, get along with is a Christian, you know, but, but I, I just can't. I can't forgive her. But like we just saw, that's a false dichotomy. Forgiveness of sins happens in Jesus Christ. My sister is forgiven. I don't have any problems with my sister. Is my sister here this morning? If she was, I... I don't have any problems with it. I don't have any problems with Jesus Christ. Not that I'm perfect, but he's forgiven me for the sake of God. That means if I'm combined with Jesus and my sister's combined with Jesus, I am not allowed. It doesn't make any sort of rational sense that I can't forgive her. Then I can expect the gospel to do one thing for her, but I can't allow it to happen in my life, which is also affected by the gospel. To forgive in Christ is to say, to not forgive as a Christian is to say the gospel doesn't really work. Remember, this is all about the gospel. All right, second objection. They haven't really changed, though. How can I forgive them? Because they're still doing the same lousy behavior. They haven't, they're not really sorry. They're not really repentant. How can I forgive them? Let's let, this is the, this is the lie of the enemy too, right? They need, once they get straightened up and come to me, then we'll get it fixed. And I need to get straightened up too. I got stuff in my life I need to get straightened up too. So I'm going to get it fixed, they're going to get it fixed, and then we'll come together. All right, this is one of the lies of the enemy. Get yourself straightened up. Hey, quit bugging Jesus about that sinfulness stuff. He's kind of tired of it. What you need to do is you need to get yourself right. Be serious. You aren't serious, that's your problem. Is that you want to do what's right, but you kind of don't want to do what's right. And so you ask God to forgive you, but you even know why you're asking God to forgive you. You're just going to do the same thing again. Get yourself serious and then come back to Jesus. But this isn't how it works. This is not how it works, right? It's not that you get yourself right and then you get forgiven. It's that you get forgiven and then you get yourself right. The forgiveness is actually what shapes and transforms you and makes you different. The forgiveness is what, the forgiveness is what heals you. Why do we have it backwards? Why do we, why do we insist that other people change and then we'll forgive them? When that's never, that's not how it works with us. Did, did, did you and I, did, did Christ say, get yourself cleaned up and then I'll forgive you? He forgives you and then he begins the process of cleaning us up. That's what Paul's doing with Onesimus and Philemon. He's not saying, you need to give up, you need to give up slave owning and Onesimus, you need to repent of stealing. He says, let's get together and let's do this in community. Let's do this under the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's do this with gospel power and then let's let Jesus start to change and shape us. John chapter 20 and verse 23. I thought about having you guys turn there, but I'm going to read it to you. This is Jesus talking to his disciples, and Jesus says this. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Okay, this is the next step. You are forgiving sins. Why do you forgive, sin? Why do you forgive each other's sins? Because it's the nice thing to do? Because now we see it's the gospel. Because God's forgiven my sins, and He's forgiven your sins. And what right do you and I have to hold those sins which have already been forgiven against each other? That's the heart of the gospel. 
But here's the next level. Check this out. Listen to me. This is, this is really, really important. And this is kind of exciting, actually, I think. Jesus says to his disciples, if you forgive any, he says, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive, then they are not forgiven. Here's the next level. What, what does Jesus say there? Jesus forgives people's sins. Right? Christianity 101. How does he choose to do it in John 20, 23? He chooses to do it by empowering his church to do it in his name. I'm going to say that again. It's really important. Jesus chooses to forgive our sins by empowering each other to do it in his names. That's what, that's what he says. So I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anybody's sins, they are forgiven. He doesn't say, I'm going to, so you can talk about it this way. This is what Paul talks about in Philemon. I forgave that God forgives their sins. And so we should forgive their sins. Actually, in John 20, 23, it's actually the other way around. You forgive their sins. And then God forgives their sins. Do you see what the power that you have is? You've been withholding forgiveness from that person who you have that grudge against. And what you are doing is you're withholding capital F forgiveness. If you forgive them, God forgives them. You have the power to offer me the grace of Jesus Christ by forgiving the wrongs that I do you. Please don't withhold that from me just because I'm a lousy human being. And I'm super easy to hold grudges against. And I'm really, really offensive sometimes. I need you to forgive me. The power that God has to forgive is not floating around out there in the air somewhere. It is right here. It's in your mouth. You have the power to carry my sins on your shoulders. You have the power to say to me, Aaron, I forgive your sins. And God in heaven does it for the sake of Jesus Christ. It's not your power, right? I mean, it's not. It's the power of Christ, and we are the body of Christ, and so he's given that power to us. There should be no grudges in the church because the gospel demands that you serve each other with the ability for you. That's why we do that one confession sometimes. We did it last week. We should have done it this week. Where I confess my sins and you guys all together absolve me. And then we all of us say the exact same confession and then I absolve you. Because I need you to absolve me and you need me to absolve you and we need you to forgive each other because that's how the gospel works. That's how Christ has chosen to forgive us. Third, the offense is just so bad. I can't find it. I I don't have the strength to forgive them. Like what they did is just so bad. I can't muster the strength to forgive them. I know. It's not easy. It's not, it's not easy to forgive people's sins. It's, there's something inside of us that says, if I forgive their sins, like, I'm just saying it's okay what they did. I'm, I'm basically giving them permission that what they did was fine, and it's not fine. It hurt me terribly. What, what, what Paul is not saying is that stealing is okay, or that slavery is okay. What he is saying, to go back to a, a, a prior point, is, is that it begins with forgiveness. The forgiveness happens, and then the healing happens. The forgiveness happens, and then the grace flows. The forgiveness happens and then community starts and Jesus starts to work changing and shaping and molding our lives. The, the pain that you've suffered at the hands of, and I'm not even going to make eye contact with Angela right now, and I'm not joking around, I can't make eye contact with Angela right now because of what I've done to her through the years. The, the pain that you've caused, because I'm not preaching at you guys, right? I'm preaching at myself. The pain that we've caused other people, the pain that other people have caused you is ugly and it's horrible. And Paul is asking you to carry that sin on your shoulders for them. 
Paul is asking you to wear the pain that they've caused you as your own. Wear it like clothing. To carry it. To feel it. It's ugly. It's broken. It's depraved. But it's how forgiveness in Jesus Christ happens. And that makes it as ugly and broken and and depraved as it is. It makes it the most beautiful thing in the whole world. Amen.